Hey, I'm so glad that you guys are all here. We had such a fun ministry breakfast this morning. A bunch of people signed up for things. Just um, And we have in this church, like there are some churches where you have uh, 20% of the people doing 80% of the work, and this is not one of those churches. We have people everywhere functioning and serving. And that also doesn't mean that everybody is functioning and serving, but we have like massive numbers of people, like uh, percentage-wise, that are just, um, they are faithfully honoring the Lord, serving. And one of the greatest gifts that anybody gives themselves is to go to a church and plug in and serve. Um, People who do that don't go to a church for two years and not know anybody. There's people who just show up on Sunday morning and go home and they say, say, man, I've been going to church for three years and I don't know anybody. Well, function and serve. And you will find out that the more you serve and bless others, the more you will be blessed. And so I'm super thankful for how this, this church is. And then there's always needs. There's a few people doing tons of things. And to be able to step up and serve sometimes in, in a relatively small way, but when you get a bunch of people that do that, it is an incredible blessing. And so I'm super thankful for our breakfast and that you're here. And wow, God's timing is amazing because I took too long on chapter 15. So this topic, supporting the Lord's work, ended up today. God did that on purpose. So if you're like, why is Roger in 1 Corinthians 15 for so long? Well, that was why God had this planned out. So um, we're going to be jumping into 1 Corinthians. We're going to have two weeks left, Lord willing. <laughs> <laughs> so um, today might be the second to last message in 1 Corinthians, and then we're going to head into the book of Genesis, so I'm super excited about that. But we're going to be talking this morning about supporting the Lord's work and having the right perspective on that. And we're going to talk about that in two ways. Um, first, we're going to talk about how to financially support the Lord's work and what God's plan is for every Christian in, re- in relationship to how you handle your money. And then the second thing we're going to look at is how do we come along and support people who are doing ministry? How do we view one another, and how do we support the people doing the work of the ministry? Which actually, that's all of us, right? Like the purpose of leaders is not to do the work. The purpose of leaders is to train people in the body to do the work. So that's all of us, but how do we think about those things. Now, one of the things I want to remind us about the Corinthian church, if you read First and Second Corinthians, you realize that there was a lot of tension between this church and Paul. Like, they said all kinds of things about him. Uh, like, there were a lot of personal attacks that, that he referenced in the book of First and Second Corinthians. Like, people said, oh, he's so powerful while he's away, but in person he's very unimpressive, you know. And uh, people said he was not like a great speaker, and, and there were, there were, they, they questioned his motives. And so, a lot of people read the books of First and Second Corinthians, and they think, yeah, that Corinthian church, that was just a real thorn in the apostle's side. You know, he loved the Philippian church, but man, the Corinthian church, they were probably really tough. And I don't think that that is how Paul viewed the Corinthian church. The Corinthians was, were a church that was in a really wicked, sinful city. And Paul went and he shared the gospel and people got saved and a church grew. But what happens with people that grow up as unbelievers? They don't become Christians and then instantly change. And so there's all kinds of problems, attitude problems in the church. And Paul was probably thankful for what was there, but then he also addressed the things that needed to grow and change. And so you just see that. I think Paul loved the Corinthian church. 
And we have just gone through that, a lot of those things, some of the division and that stuff. And um, it's interesting how Paul finally in, in chapter 16, how he hits giving and supporting ministry. And he's been talking about spiritual gifts, the fact that every single person has a unique spiritual gift. You contribute to the church in a way that nobody else can. And in some ways, uh, we could look at people, and we talked about this at the men's breakfast, you could view people as re redundant. You know, we got five people who could preach on Sunday morning, so why do we need all five? Or we got, we got six people who could do this thing. And what we realize is kind of like the, the fingers on your hand. You know, a lot of your fingers could perform the same functions, but nobody looks at a finger as redundant. Why is my hand cluttered with these? Let me cut some off. Um, <laughs> And, uh, you know, it's like you get one of your fingers gets hurt, some others can do the work. Sometimes your fingers working together can accomplish things that one couldn't accomplish alone. And that's the body of Christ. And so God has built some, quote, redundancy, but it's not because anybody's redundant. Everybody is needed. And um, so he's been talking about spiritual gifts and how we should love and value one another. And then he gets to chapter 15, so that's 12 through 14, gets to 15, he's talking about the resurrection. And so we spent some time talking about the historical reality of the resurrection of Jesus and what that means about our resurrection and that we are living for something beyond this world. And then Paul shifts and he starts talking about how we give and how we support people. And that is because when you think about life rightly, it changes how you approach those things in your life. Now, when we talk about uh, money, we're going to be talking about money today. And, um, you know, there's a lot of false teachers that teach things about money and say things that aren't true. Like if you give God a dollar, it's like planting a seed and you'll get back a hundred dollars. So it's kind of like a, a guaranteed spiritual slot machine. And uh, one of the things I would say is anytime somebody preaches a sermon on giving and taps into your greed, um, when they tap into the sinful side of you and you start imagining, I want more stuff, and then they start preaching and in a way they start promising to meet your greediness. Anytime somebody's tapping into your sinfulness as a motivation for something, that is a false teacher. That is Satan trying to take advantage of you. And, and often, I, I look at false teachers that promise things, and I see poor people who send off their money to scam artists. And it's heartbreaking, but then I also think to myself, everybody who listened to that message and sent them money it was actually sinful to send them money. They believed lies. They tapped into their own sinful motivations to send off money. And so often the people being scammed are people who are driven not by a love for the Lord, but by personal greed. And that's not 100% of the time, but that is, I would say, of the people I have seen that have made huge financial mistakes in relation to false teachers are driven and motivated by greed. And that is not us. But what ends up happening is often good, faithful churches don't talk about money the way God intends. They don't say things about money that the Bible says because they don't want to sound like these evil false teachers that are trying to take advantage of people. And what I would say is we need to forget about comparing ourselves with everyone else and we just need to say, 
Um, what does God say? And we just need to teach it. We need to believe it. We need to live in light of it. So I want to just share a couple things uh, about false teaching. And the first is this. Um, you know, Jesus, when he was talking to the religious leaders, the Pharisees, um, he said the Pharisees who were lovers of money heard these things and ridiculed him. Kind of an amazing thing that the Jews, God's chosen people, and last week we talked about God's purpose for the Jewish nation, but the Jews, God's chosen people who are waiting for Jesus, when he showed up, they killed him because they, the religious leaders were polluted. And one of the things, they were polluted by many things, but one of the things is they were lovers of money. And you'll notice in the qualifications of an elder, no church leaders are allowed to be lovers of money. That's actually something that we're supposed to look into people's lives and say, do I see evidence that this person is greedy and loves money? And if we see that, they're not allowed to be church leaders because they would be in a position to take advantage of people. Uh, 1 Timothy 6, 5. By the way, if you want to learn about money, how to think rightly about money, read the whole of 1 Timothy chapter 6. It covers like every element of how to view finances. But it says this in verse 5, talking about false teachers, it says people who are depraved in mind. That's people who their minds are broken, sinful, controlled by Satan, useless. Uh, those are uh, people depraved in mind, deprived of the truth. Anybody who stands in front of people and in God's name takes advantage of them has a broken brain. Um, you do not want to be a person ever who in God's name steals money. God sees everything. God knows everything. And in church leadership and in church finances, we should always have accountability as a help. But I just think um, any church leader that is foolish enough to take advantage of somebody or to take money that belongs to God, anybody foolish enough to do that should never be in a position of spiritual leadership. And if we are paying attention, we would notice the character traits that communicate that that person should not be in, in a position. It says this, men of depraved mind, deprived of the truth, imagine that godliness is a means of gain. And, and when we say gain, that's personal gain. And so that is something that is true. Uh, um, 1 Timothy 6, 9, it just says this. It goes on and it says, But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge, plunge, plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. Through, and through this craving, some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. Now, greed is a terrible quality in a spiritual leader, but greed is a terrible quality in any person, and especially in any Christian. And as Paul is writing this in 1, Corinthians, or 1 Timothy chapter 6, He's talking to Timothy, who is a pastor, who is a leader in this church, but this actually applies to every one of us. What's our attitude toward money? And uh, 
today is going to be a chance for you to think about that. And, uh, and I'm just going to go right out there and say, you can open up your checkbook and you can look at where you spend your money and what you prioritize your finances on. And you can know from that if you are a greedy person or if you're a person who's living their life in the light of the resurrection of Christ. So the other thing that I want to tell you is something that Jesus said about giving. He said, give and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, uh, will be put into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. And these false teachers take this verse and turn it into something about greed. When for Christians, we should look at the fact that Jesus said that he blesses people who are generous, and that should give us a desire to be generous. And we should know, like there's Proverbs that say there's a stingy man, and the more he stores up money, um, the less he has. And then there's a generous person who just gives and gives and gives and never runs out. And you want to know something? Uh, we're not going to use verses like this to manipulate you, but I live my life in light of this verse. And I have trained my kids from the time that they were young to think about life in this way because it's what Jesus says, and I believe everything Jesus says. Um, here's another one. Um, Acts chapter 20, verse 35, remember the words of the Lord Jesus, that he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Think about that. If somebody came up to you and said, um, uh, we got two lines. There's a line you can get in to get $1,000. And then this line over here is a line you can get in to give $1,000. <laughs> Which line would you get in? <laughs> well, Jesus says the line to give a thousand bucks is the better line to be in. Is that what you're thinking? <laughs> well, that's what Jesus said. Um, Philippians 4.17. You know, Paul writes to the Philippian church that was a very generous church, and he gave them opportunities to give to him. And he says about them giving him money, he says, um, not that I seek the gift, but I see, seek the fruit that increases to your credit. When Paul asked for money, it wasn't for himself. It was to bless the people who had an opportunity to give. And I just want you to know that as a church, we're never going to ask for money because uh, we, in a sense, feel like we need it. I want everybody in this church to be gracious and generous because that is what is best for you. That is what brings blessing into your life. And every faithful Christian is faithful in how they handle their money. And um, so, so we do that. Now, this is the cool thing about this sermon. Um, we're, not, uh, we're not here talking about money <laughs> because this church is in financial need. I just want you guys to know God has blessed this church. The, the people in this church are so generous. I, we're not preaching this sermon because we have a problem with this in this church. Every time we ever ask for anything, money just pours in. Anytime we ever say, hey, there's this person in need, money just pours in to meet that need. When we have a missionary who shows up and says, um, hey, I need this, this, people just find me after church and say, hey, how can I give to that? This church is full of generous people. This is not a problem for Foothills Church. But this is something that every single Christian needs to think about. 
Am I thinking rightly about that? Am I managing this? And often when you preach a sermon on giving, all the people that are super generous and who give all the time, they feel convicted <laughs> that they're not doing enough. And all the people who are stingy and give nothing, it just goes right over the head. It's like they didn't hear any of it. And so I just want you to know, uh, just think, if you're being faithful, then be thankful for that. And if you're not, you should grow and change that. Um, So when I think about this, uh, this was a huge issue in my life. I grew up in church, and I would sit in the front row, and my mom would give me a quarter to put into the offering plate. And so I would always drop the quarter. It was kind of fun as a kid to do that. And uh, my mom, it didn't matter how much we were struggling financially. I saw her writing a check every week and dropping it into the offering plate. So, so I saw that. But for whatever reason, I never thought that sermons on giving or anything about giving applied to me. And so when I, when I one day became a Christian... Um, so I'm a Christian, I'm going to church, I'm functioning, I'm serving in ministry, and I gave nothing, and I actually had a pretty good job. So um, I made more money the year after I graduated from high school than I did after going to college, getting a degree, um, and working in ministry for over 10 years. Um, I bought my first house supporting um, two kids and I still didn't make as much as I made the year after I graduated from high school. So um, I had plenty of money at that time in my life, and um, the pastor was preaching on giving. <laughs> I remember sitting there and just thinking to myself, you know, the, the church needed a parking lot, and he was talking about that, and I just remember sitting there thinking, you know, what's with these people? The church needs some money, man. Kick it in. The plate's coming by. You guys ought to be given more. I was so disgusted by everybody in church that they weren't more generous. And, um, and as I sat there, I just was thinking to myself, but I don't actually give anything at all. <laughs> but I just, I don't know if it's because, you know, you're a kid and you hear sermons about that, yet it's for your parents, not for you. Um, and, uh, and, and that is actually, I thought, actually, no, this applies to me too. And so I started giving. And uh, I remember, um, in, and I've been faithful in my giving ever since that day. Uh, I remember being in college one time, and I just had no money, and I had to pay for my own college. And so I'm in college. I got a tuition payment coming. I got a phone bill coming. Uh, I did construction during the time, and work got slow, and so I had no money. I was like thousands of dollars in the hole, and none of those bills had hit. And I had $40 to my name. And I remember sitting in church and just thinking, this $40 is of no value to me. Um, in about two weeks, I'm going to have $2,000 worth of bills, and 40 bucks will not even make a dent. So I just remember thinking, you know what? Um, it's of no value to be me, but maybe it could help somebody. I just dropped that 40 bucks in the offering plate going by, and I felt good about it. Now, if I had $2,000 to pay my bills, I would not have dropped the $2,000 in the offering plate and not paid my bills. I, I would not have done that. But I was just in a situation where I'm like, this money is of no value to me, but it it will be valuable to God and to the church. You want to know the craziest thing? I have no idea how it happened. But in that two weeks, work picked up, and somehow I ended up with enough money to pay all my bills. I have no idea to this day how that happened, but I just remember like when my tuition bill was due and looking at my checking account, and there was enough money in there. And, And God has just in my life 
blessed me over and over, and it does not mean that I have not struggled financially. But anyway, that's, that's a little bit of my personal story. And uh, so I want to just look at this um, whole issue out of 1 Corinthians. And in a per- uh, the first thing is this, an eternal perspective results in faithful giving. When you see life as it really is, you will deal with your money rightly. When you don't think financially correctly, it's because you don't see life for what it really is. 1 Corinthians just says this. So Paul's writing to this church. By the way, in chapter 9, Paul tells this church that pastors are worthy to be paid. A workman is worthy of his wages. He says you should pay pastors. But then he says to the church, I am not asking that this be done in my case. Paul did not trust the Corinthian church enough to receive any money from them. And he just said, I want to minister, and the gospel and the power of the gospel is worth more than money. So what he did when he was ministering to the Corinthian church is he made tents. It's where we get this whole concept of being a tent maker. And when you read in the book of Acts, Paul's making tents and he's reasoning in the synagogues on Saturday. It's because he would not take money from the Corinthian church because they had a terrible spiritual attitude and he didn't want to confuse the message. You want to know who he did take money for from? The Philippian church. And when you read in the story of Acts, while he's ministering to the Corinthians, it says that he's reasoning, he's making tents and then reasoning in the synagogues on Saturdays until the money arrives from the Philippian church. And when he got their money, then he quit making tents and he ministered the whole time. And so it's not that Paul wouldn't be supported by ministry. It's just that the gospel mattered more to him than money. And so he said that to them. And now he's going to come to an offering. He's going to talk to them about this. It says this in 1 Corinthians chapter um, 16, verse 1. It says, now concerning the collection for the saints. So he's answering a bunch of questions that they're asking. And this is one of the questions that they asked. As I directed the churches of Galatia, so also are you to do. On the first day of every week, each of you is to put something aside and store it up as he may prosper so that there will be no collecting when I come. You know, people are accusing Paul of having bad motives. Paul does not want to show up to church and start asking for money. So he says, you need to take this offering. You need to store it up every week. You need to turn it in. When I show up, I don't want to have to ask for any money. I want all the money to be there already. And then he goes on and he says, when I arrive, I will send those whom you accredit by letter to carry your gift to Jerusalem. So he's saying, telling this Gentile church, you need to gather up money, and he's telling all the other churches to gather up money to meet the needs of the poor Jews in Jerusalem. Now, how many of you have read the New Testament, and you've seen like relational, or, or not relational, well, relational, but racial tension between Jews and Gentiles? And, and what I want to just point out here, and this is a side note, but this is Gentiles supporting poor Jews. That would be like uh, going to the Palestinians and saying to the Palestinian Christians, hey, there are poor Jews who need money, so I want you guys to all take an offering for the Jews. Um, so in my last church, we had a Palestinian Christian 
Do you guys know that Palestinians hate Jews? Like you can get online and watch videos of Palestinians getting their kids and giving them knives and saying to these little three-year-olds, go stab yourself a Jew. Like the Palestinians grow up learning to hate and kill Jews. So racial things. And same attitude of Jews toward Palestinians. And uh, I preached a, ser a sermon similar to last week where I, I said that God had a plan for the nation of Israel. And then I went to a life group discussion with a Christian Palestinian who was having trouble with that concept. But I want you to know what's happening here. Um, he's asking Gentiles to financially support Jews. And, and this is a side note, but in Christianity, there is no racial tension. Um, Christianity is the solution to racial tension. Anytime there is racial tension between people, it's because they are culturally minded, not Bible minded. It is impossible for a Bible minded Christian to view life um, in, a, in a racially inappropriate way. Um, God made Adam and Eve, and that's where we all come from, right? So how would you view a different race as anything else? Um, right before the flood, you got Noah and his four kids, or his kids and their wives, um, their, his three sons and their wives. And if you trace the genealogy of my time back, it's one from one family. So no Bible-minded Christian is ever racist. And um, it's impossible. That is only something that gets imported from our culture. And what I think is tragic is you'll have churches, like I've heard of churches, that will have services that are only for one race. That, that is a culturally-minded church. Uh, the Bible says this in Galatians chapter 3, critical race theory, all that kind of stuff is so anti-God. The way our culture addresses race is wicked and sinful, and, and the way you solve race issues is just being a Christian and thinking biblically. Uh, it says this in Galatians, there is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, no male and female, you are all one in Christ Jesus. And, and so that is an expression of how Christians view things. Now, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with having a Spanish service if you got Spanish speakers, because Spanish people need to hear, people who speak Spanish need to hear God's Word in Spanish. So there's nothing wrong with dividing people up by language. That's not a racist thing. But when you say, I don't care what your language is, only this race can come on this day, that is so worldly-minded and sinful for a church or a Christian to think that way. And so that's a side note. So when you think about this, first of all, Paul is giving some principles on giving, and he's just telling them, and by the way, uh, this is something we need to keep in mind as we think about giving. It says, now con concerning the collection for the saints as I directed. So, so this is the first thing, I, my first observation, is giving should be through the church. Like, the church is not the only place to give, but the church is a primary place to give. And so one of the things you see in the New Testament period is that, is that when, the, when the church 
the new church was having problems, people were selling their property and laying it at the feet of the apostles. That's where Ananias and Sapphira get killed. By the way, uh, Barnabas was one of the first people to sell his property and give it to the church. And they laid it at the apostles' feet, and then they figured out where the needs were, and they met those needs. Uh, the, 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 um, in Acts chapter 6 and 7, you have a widow's ministry. People are feeding the widows, and there's like this difficulty that's happening. And here he's just saying to the churches, collect money and give it to hopefully spiritually faithful leaders who are wise, who are aware of needs, and who distribute it. Uh, my giving is primarily to the church. That is the first place. If I only give one place, it's to church. And uh, there were times that, that I'm just thinking, man, I, I want to I invest my money in a spiritually significant way. And so I gave to the church because that supports the people who preach to me and teach me and the facility and stuff where, where God's doing His work. That allows kids to learn the gospel where we're supporting families and churches. Um, that, when I give to the church, I'm giving to missions. Our church supports missionaries. And so every dollar you put in our offering plate, uh, you're sharing the gospel with people. You are meeting the needs of our community. You are investing in, in missionaries that are overseas. And so for me, the first and foremost place I give is the church. And that is not where things stop. Um, I think we should also give, I give to missionaries. There are missionaries that I support that are on the missions field, that above and beyond what I give at church, I support missionaries. When I see needs in the community, a lot of times people will come and say, hey, this person's in need. The church should do something about that. And one of the things I think about is I am the church. So when I see a homeless guy who's hungry and I buy him food, that's Foothills Church, buying that guy food. I don't need to get money from the church. I just get my own money. And so as I meet needs, that's the church. We, we should give to needs. We should give to people good, valuable ministries. You don't just give to the church. But I think giving, that that is a primary way we give. Sometimes we don't really know. Like I was thinking about that. One of the great things about the church is um, somebody might say, man, I love youth. I want to make donations to the youth ministry. Nothing wrong with that. But maybe the youth ministry has plenty of money and the children's ministry is really hurting. But if everybody's given money to the youth ministry, then the CE ministry is not getting anything. So when you put money in the plate, then there's spiritually faithful people who should be thinking about where the needs are and distributing that properly and, and in, in a way that's helpful. So... Um, um, so Paul, so I think giving should be from the church. The other thing you see is giving should be regular and planned. Now there are times, and I reserve in my money, in my budget, um, when sometimes I see things that are unexpected, and then I just get to give to those things, and that's awesome. But there's a baseline of giving. It is planned. I don't wonder how much I'm going to give. Michelle and I think about it, we talk about it, we make a decision, and then we give regularly. Now, I personally give every week. And it's because it says on the first day of the week. That's another thing, by the way. The first day of the week, that's when the church met. And so, um, so I just, I give regularly every week. And, and okay, I'm not bragging about giving, and I'm not telling anybody how much I give. But I do want you to know, I don't ever stand up here and say, hey, you should do something that I don't do myself. Like, that would be terrible and hypocritical. And I remember when Justin was preaching on evangelism, and he talked about all the times he shared the gospel, and some people are like, man, he brags so much about sharing the gospel, like a person might think that. Justin, I'm not saying anybody said that to me. Um, 
But one of the things I think about when I sit there is you better tell me how you share the gospel. Don't tell me to share the gospel with people and then you get up there and you don't do it yourself. I don't want to hear that. I don't want to hear Justin say, hey, the Bible says we should share the gospel, but I just feel intimidated. I always fail. I'm just like you. I never do it. I'm like, okay, then get, get me somebody else to talk to me about this. I don't want to hear from you. And so I'm not bragging, but I'm just telling you I don't just think this is good for you. This is something I do because it's what God says. And so it needs to be regular and planned. And one of the things about that is that it, it actually gives you an opportunity every day to think about what matters. Now, this used to be a struggle sometimes for me and Michelle when we had two kids in a house and I was making less than I made the year after I graduated from high school. Because I would sometimes come home and say to her, we can't buy any food this week, so don't go to the grocery store. And then we would sit down in church, and she'd see me write a check and drop it in the offering plate. And she's like, you're saying we can't buy food, but you're giving at church. And first of all, my family wasn't starving. <laughs> Have you ever opened your pantry, and there's tons of stuff in there, and, but you feel like there's nothing to eat? So that was our story. Our pantry was not empty. Um, but maybe we had more beans than we wanted to eat, you know. And, uh, but you want to know something? We give to God first. And one of the things Michelle and I did is giving needs to be cheerful. And so actually we changed who wrote the check. And so Michelle wrote, started writing the checks because it was easy for me to write that check and drop it in, but it was harder for her. And so I hope I'm not outing you. I didn't tell Michelle I was going to say any of this. But as a, as a, as a family, um, we wanted to be, we both saw this as an issue that God needs to work in our heart to the place that we both want to honor the Lord and what we're doing. And so uh, we did that. And when you do it every week, it reminds you, and it's a regular priority. Um, you'll notice that this includes everyone, not just parents. It includes every single Christian. Um, he says this, um, each of you is to put aside. Um, that's actually something that we need to make sure that, that we're training and teaching our kids to do. Uh, one of the things I did with my kids is I thought in my life growing up, I never learned to think rightly about giving. The fact that I was an adult and had never given and that I was listening to sermons about giving and I didn't think they applied to me means something was left out in my training growing up. So when my kids were small, every dollar they got, every time they got money for their birthday, every time they got money anywhere, we would sit down and talk to them about giving and, and how God wanted us to view finances. And so I was in control of my kids. <laughs> I told them, you're giving 10% to the church. You know, this is not, I mean, I wanted, I told them, I, I want this to come out of your heart. I want it to be something that, you're, that you want to do. But for now, I'm just going to train you to do what you're supposed to do. And so they gave 10%. They put 30% in the bank. And so I made a savings account for them because I taught them about what God said about that. And so they were putting money into a Schwab account when they were five years old. And, um, and so they would do that. And then I told them, part of your responsibility before the Lord is to spend the rest of your money to have fun with it. That's actually one of the things God wants us to do. And so 40%, 10 to the church, 30 into savings, and then 60%, go have fun with it. 
And I remember one of my kids was really struggling with this whole concept. And after one of his birthdays, ooh, I just said his. I didn't mean to say that. You can guess which one of the his. So it's still anonymous. But, um, but anyway, but he, uh, so I was talking to him about giving, and he was just so upset about having to save money, and I thought, I'm going to really help him. And so he's seven years old, seven or eight, and I just said, hey, let me show you something. And so I opened up a Schwab account, and I said, look how much money you have that you've saved. Um, you've got like over $1,000 in there. And I thought he was going to go, wow, Dad, you are so wise. Man, what good advice you've been giving me. And when I showed that to him, it didn't go like I expected. He responded and said, oh, man, I could have spent that. He was so upset that he had that money. And, and I just said to him, okay, well, that means you've actually spent a lot more than that. Where is it? Like, where's all this money that you've spent? Where's your stuff? What do you have? And he's like, well, I don't know. And I said, if I let you spend that, you know how much you'd have? Nothing still. And um, so, but these are things that just, in, everybody responds differently. But over time, just training and teaching our kids to think about that. And I remember saying to that kid, I'd sit next to him in church, and I would say, uh, listen to that music being played. And you know, our church buys the guitar strings on that guitar, and what you gave this week bought those guitar strings. The reason that that person is playing that music and that we're all hearing it is because of that offering you gave. And I started helping my kids think about how their investment was practically touching people. And I had this other kid who um, took our teaching totally to heart. And I remember them having a job, and they needed money, and they needed a car, and they needed things in their life, and they had come to the conclusion that they should give 25 or 30 percent of their income. And, and I remember that being a personal struggle. I'm like, good, I'm glad that you want to be generous, but actually you need some of that money. And so I, I was like, I wanted, I almost went and said, no, dial it back. And then I just thought, no, I'm not going to unteach them what I've been teaching them, that God's the one who provides. And so everybody's different in those things, but these are all lessons that we need to learn for ourselves so that we can teach our kids. And if we don't understand the priority in our life, we rob the people that, okay, our kids, but actually every single Christian that you disciple. That's one of the first things we talk about with new Christians. By the way, it's in our new members class. If you want to be a member, you have to commit to generously, financially support the church. Not because we want your money, but because if you don't give, then you are not a faithful Christian. You are not going to be blessed the way God intends for you to be blessed. And so you're, you're either not a Christian or you are an immature Christian if you don't give generously. And we want members that actually think about life and honor the Lord the way God wants them to. And then what we don't do is we don't run giving reports and then confront people. <laughs> we just talk to you, we tell you, we pray for you, and that's between you and the Lord. But that is actually something that we talk about. So it should be regularly and planned. It, it should include everyone, and it should be proportionate. You know, Jesus talked about the widow who drops two cents in the plate, and he says that she gave more than all of these people because she gave all she had to live on. And by the way, sometimes 
Um, like that widow dropping her last two cents in the plate, like the church should have given her money. They shouldn't have been taking the last that she had to live on. But you have these religious systems that just, they fleece people and they're taking people's money and they don't care how people suffer. They just want money. They'll, they'll, they'll get a little bit of money from thousands of poor people so that they can be rich. Instead of the church, it's more blessed to give than to receive. And one of the things our church loves is to give to people in need. And that is a huge thing because we want to be faithful stewards and we don't want to enable, but also we want to bless and encourage and help. Um, it needs to be willing. That's Paul saying, I don't want you to take a collection when I'm there. And he talks about that. And then money needs to be managed well. So those are important things for us to think about as it relates to giving. Now, here's something that I think is interesting as Paul talks about how do you support ministry in the way that you think about people. Um, this is the second thing that we're going to see here is that um, that, that giving rightly and an eternal perspective results in faithfully encouraging people who minister. I'm going to read verse 4, and it says, "...if it seems advisable that I should go also..." They will accompany me, accompany me. I will visit you after passing through Macedonia, for I intend to pass through Macedonia, and perhaps I will stay with you and even spend the winter there. Okay, now get this. So that you may help me on my journey. Isn't that kind of interesting? So when Paul's ministering to them, he says, I, I don't want money from you. I'm going to take money from the Philippians to minister to you. But he does not leave them as a spiritually inf uh, infant church. He doesn't, he doesn't say to these people, you're immature, you think wrongly about money, so stay that way. What he tells them is, I'm going to come visit. You know what help me on my way means? It means give me money, supply my needs. So when he was there ministering to them the first time, he didn't take any money from them. But now he's saying, I'm going to come visit you and you're going to have a chance to financially support me. So he's actually going to encourage them to do the right thing not for him, could have asked the Philippians. The Philippians would have happily given him more money. He's like, no, you guys need to grow in this. And so here we having him saying, so that you may help me on my journey wherever I go. For I don't want to see you now just in passing. I hope to spend some time with you if the Lord permits. But I will stay in Ephesus until Pentecost, for a wide door for effective work has opened to me there and there are many adversaries. You know, often when people, so Paul is reminding them, you're going to help me on my way, but I'm going to do ministry. I'm going to do the work of the Lord. And there's this wide door that's opened, but there's many adversaries. Often when you're doing good ministry is where you get attacked. It's when you have difficulty and challenges because Satan doesn't like that. And so often when there are struggles, whatever they are, in places that you are doing God's work, that is a great sign. Sometimes we'll see a person who's faithful in ministry, disciplined, working hard, and we'll see things that happen that discourage them. Like, I've seen that. I've seen people in the church that are working so hard. They're being so disciplined. They're feeling so overloaded. And then they'll go do something, and somebody criticizes them. And one of the things, that, and I realize what a burden that ends up being. And there can be this temptation to say, 
man, I'm working so hard, I'm killing myself, I am doing this, I am doing that, and for what? And just so people can treat me this way. And sometimes it can be like the straw that breaks the camel's back. Like I've seen people with a heart for the Lord and a desire to serve the church, and I've seen people criticize them over silly things. And, and sometimes it just makes them want to quit. And, uh, and I think to myself, you know, if that person had any idea how their comment, how their complaint actually impacted somebody who was faithfully serving, like they didn't realize what a load that was going to be to that person. And if they would have realized, they never would have done that. And often we can be so silly. We can complain about the dumbest things because we're not viewing life from an eternal perspective. You got somebody in ministry that's working hard and doing something, give them whatever they want. Like, what do you need? Just give it to them. Like when missionaries show up here and they say, I really need this. I'm like, okay, just give it to them. Give them whatever they need, whatever will help them, whatever will bless them. And that should be our attitude toward anybody serving in ministry. And by the way, generally speaking, that is the attitude here. I have people coming to me who are noticing hardworking people in the church, some of them volunteering. You know, we had some people leading ministries here that were volunteering, and I had tons of people coming to me on a regular basis say, I heard that person's volunteering. We should pay them. Um, I heard that person's volunteering. We should pay them. I've had people say to me, um, how much money do you need? I, I will write a check right now to make sure our church is paying that person. So we have a lot of very generous people who notice that, who appreciate that. But every one of us needs to remember that we need to encourage the people who are ministering. And uh, that needs to be something that is purposeful. That is something, generally speaking, that happens very well here. Um, but I want you to know something, when you are not appreciated, when somebody does something that makes you mad, sometimes those are, um, we, have you ever like had somebody say something to you and you were really angry afterwards and really hurt? And then when you finally talk to them about it, you realize that you read it wrong? Does that ever happen to you? Um, sometimes we're really hurt because we misread things. And so, one of the things I say to people in ministry is toughen up, man. You know, it's like you can't whine about everything everybody says or anything, something happens, you know. Just toughen up. Um, we can't be a bunch of like little snowflakes running around afraid that somebody will step on our toes. It's like, and life is too busy for that kind of stuff. And if somebody ever does hurt your feelings, make sure you talk to them and clarify. But other times, things are said that shouldn't be said, and people's feelings are legitimately hurt, and that is also an incredible gift to the person doing ministry. Um, why do you think that is? You know, it is a great reminder when you're serving somebody, you're loving somebody, you're caring for somebody, and they don't appreciate it, and they insult you, and the very people that you're sacrificing for and caring for are mean-spirited towards you. That's a huge gift. And the reason for that is, what do you do it for? Do we do things for approval? Do we do things so that people can say thank you to us? Do we do things so that we can be appreciated? Absolutely not. Everything we do is for the Lord's pleasure. It is to honor the Lord. It is to please the Lord. And so if you're serving people and they don't appreciate it, who cares? 
because you're not ultimately serving them. I'll, I'll never forget, you know, I, we've had people in ministry who when they were forgotten, everybody was being thanked and they were left out and they quit over it. And I just think, good, see ya. And, and, and I also think to myself, uh, what a tragedy that we forgot to say thank you. And then I also think to myself, if you quit because somebody didn't say thank you to you, you never should have been in spiritual leadership. It means that you don't understand what ministry is about. You don't understand that we serve the Lord, we don't serve people. And often we have all kinds of problems. It's like you make a list and if you ever forget somebody, what a nightmare. Um, that should never be true. The, the times that you are forgotten, that is such a huge blessing because you get to say, Lord, you're the one who I was doing this for, and you're the only one who saw it, and you never forget anything. So it's a huge blessing if you're ever forgotten. And we really work hard on not forgetting people. But what, what kind of sissies run around without a wholehearted love for the Lord driving their ministry? And I'll just say that when you give generously to the Lord, when you think rightly, you're going to encourage people. Now, I want to just point out one thing. Paul's going to ask them for, for some money. He's also going to talk about Timothy and Apollos. And um, this is what he says about Timothy. When Timothy comes, see that you put him at ease among you, for he's doing the work of the Lord as I am. So let no one despise him. Help him on his way in peace that he may return to me. I'm expecting him with the brothers. You got this faithful guy who really had a heart and loved people. And Paul has to tell the church, hey, I'm sending Timothy to you and, and don't be a jerk to him. Don't be a jerk to him the way you're a jerk to me. Don't be a jerk to him the way you're a jerk to other people. When I'm sending him there, don't, don't make him be afraid. You know, when you read First and Second Timothy, Timothy was so discouraged. His church was so out of control. Paul's telling him, don't quit. Like Timothy wanted to quit because the people that he was loving and serving mistreated him. And so Paul has to write to the Corinthian church and say, don't be a jerk to Timothy. You want to know what Paul said about Timothy? When Paul was going to send Timothy, he says, there's nobody else like me, like Timothy. When I send him, you're going to see Timothy because he's going to remind you of my ways. And the other thing he, says, he said one time was, I have nobody else to send you um, except Timothy because everybody else only cares about their own interests and not the interests of Christ. Um, Timothy was a person who didn't care about himself. He cared about people. He, he cared about the, 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 the interest of Christ. And Paul has to say, when I send you this amazing person, don't be a jerk to him. What a tragedy that that needs to be stated to a church. And yet we've all seen that, right? We've seen churches and people who chew up spiritual leaders and spit them out. Um, by the way, never would we want to be a church like that. Never would we want to be a person like that. And, um, and we just realize that Satan drags people into that. And this is what I think is funny. Um, then he's going to talk about Apollos. And I wonder why he puts them together like this. This is what he says about Apollos. Now, concerning our brother Apollos, do you guys remember about him? He was the amazing speaker. Everybody probably said, 
Paul, you're lame. And it was probably because they heard a sermon from Apollos, and then they heard a sermon from Paul, and they thought, Paul, Apollos is amazing, and Paul, you just don't measure up. So Apollos is this spectacular preacher. And um, he was there at Corinth. In fact, people are, the division was, I'm of Paul, I'm of Apollos, I'm of Christ. Like, Apollos was like put up on this pedestal. And guess what Paul says about Apollos? Um, I strongly urged him to visit you with the other brothers. Like Paul's writing Apollos. Apollos, go to a Corinth. Apollos, you need to go back to, a, 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 to Corinth. I strongly urged him to visit you with the other brothers, but it was not at all his will to come. <laughs> He'll come when he has opportunity. Apollos didn't want to go. He's like, yeah, Paul's like, Apollos, they need you. They need your gifts. No, I'm not going back to that group of people. Um, they missed out. They lost the opportunity to be ministered to by an amazing person who just says, I'm not wasting any more time with them. Like I teach them. I try to encourage them. They criticize me. They don't listen. They don't put things into a practice. I got people over here who love me. And when I teach, they, they put it into practice. And my ministry there is fruitful. But when I minister to the Corinthians, man, it's just a nightmare. I don't need that. And so I wonder if he says, look, Timothy doesn't care about his own interests. He cares about the interests of Christ. So I'm sending Timothy. Don't be a jerk to him. And by the way, Apollos doesn't want to visit you anymore. Maybe as a motivation for them to not be a jerk. So what's the encouragement for all of us? Um, here's one thing I want to say for myself and for you and for our church. Um, I want God to do amazing things here in this church. I want God to, to, to give us opportunities to see people come to know the Lord, to give us opportunities to, to disciple people. What an incredible blessing that is. That's what I want. Um, but you want to know what Jesus said? He said this, He was faithful in a very little thing, is faithful also in much. He was unrighteous in a little thing, is unrighteous in much. Therefore, if you have not been faithful in the use of unrighteous wealth, who will entrust true riches to you? You know what he's saying? Money's unimportant. Money is small. And if you can't handle money, why would God ever give you ministry? And so one of the things for us to think about, one of the things for you to think about, is if you can't manage your money, don't expect God to give you ministry. Which is why when you have a person in leadership that misuses money, they never should have been in charge of anybody's spiritual well-being. Because money is simple and easy and small. Spiritual things are of eternal significance. So when we honor the Lord rightly, we're going to give generously. We're going to love and support and encourage the people God gives us to minister to. Let me pray. Lord, thank you so much for your word. And God, I, I pray that you would help us to be people that think rightly about our finances and that we realize that everything we have is because you gave it. Lord, you want us to enjoy the money we have. 
we should not just deprive ourselves and store up money for the future because we may not be here in the future. We should enjoy your good things today. That's part of worshiping you. And yet, Lord, we don't live for the pleasures of today. We live for eternity. We are generous. We care about the needs of other people. And we give to your kingdom. God, help us to be faithful as individuals, faithful as a church. God, I pray that you would help all of our leaders to manage their money well, because that's simple and easy, and that then you would entrust to them um, true riches, which is ministry to people. God, thank you for the treasure that you give us in your name. Amen.